Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. The sequel to Max Quick, Book One, The Pocket and the Pendant, produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on the Max Quick series or this podcast, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. Three, nineteen twelve. The sheer impact of physically standing in nineteen twelve was overwhelming, far more so than either Ian or Max could have ever guessed. Terror engulfed them both, shook them to the core. Time travel wasn't fun. On the contrary, it was profoundly jolting to the very root of the psyche. Without realizing it, they had previously had a kind of television idea of time travel before this moment, that it would be something akin to stepping onto a set, with extras and period dress milling about. It was nothing like that. For starters, the fabric of reality in 1912 was very noticeably different. The colors, the sounds, the smells. It was very hard to explain, but very easy to feel. Even the chilly taste of the very air was 1912. Not old, because here 1912 was new, it was now. They had arrived on a winter evening. Snowflakes scurled down, fat puffy snowflakes, drifting lazily from the gray sky above. Horses clopped by in sloppy wet snow, pulling carriages in front of the Flatiron Building just across the street. It was the tallest building in the area in this time, the triangular limestone and glazed terracotta facade wedge easily dwarfed all other nearby structures. The setting sun burned in an orange starburst behind it, lighting up a haze of industrial cinder smoke and snow clouds. No one had witnessed their strange arrival. Or perhaps they had and mentally discredited what they had seen, convinced themselves that their eyes were playing tricks on them. People did that thing with surprising ease, Max thought Riley. However, the people walking in the street nearby were physically different from people in Max and Ian's own time. They were gaunt, unsmiling, serious. Max got the sudden impression that they aged faster, their bodies withered more quickly. And the few children they glimpsed looked odd to their modern-day eyes, malnourished and pale, or like the faces of older people on small bodies. They, too, were unsmiling, broken on some level. It wasn't just a trick of daguerreotype or ferrotype photography that made people of these times look so different from modern-day people. They really looked just like that, close up. I found myself agape, Ian whispered, admiring a skyscraper, the prow of the Flatiron Building to be particular, plowing up through the traffic of Broadway and Fifth Avenue in the latter afternoon light. Max looked at him quizzically. What was that? Ian smiled. H.G. Wells, 1906. He was here, standing right where we are, only six years ago. I memorized it before we left, and I thought it would be appropriate. Max smiled gently. Bet he never thought two real-life time travelers would be quoting him. Ian nodded nervously, looking around. <sighs> I'm pretty damn tweaked out by this, you know. Max nodded, smiling. Me too. It's like... I don't want to move, because then I'll step into this time for real. I still feel like I'm watching it in a movie or something. The sun set quietly as they stood there. 
and early darkness descended upon the city. The locals were beginning to notice them loitering. The general nervous energy they were giving off was subtly out of place. People here didn't act like this. Max suddenly understood that just their manner of being was attracting attention. A craggy-faced police officer began sauntering in their direction. Uh-oh, Max muttered. It didn't take us long to find some trouble. The officer eyed them and then growled. You two rogues there! What are you doing? You won't catch any ankle here this time of night! He surprised them by laughing heartily, a laugh that quickly turned into a rattling respiratory wheeze and then a series of throaty coughs. Max and Ian looked quizzically at one another. Ankle? The officer became more serious. Well, do I have to give you the 23 skidoo? Oh, we'll move along, Max said. We're on our way home. The officer nodded. Well, see that you get there, then. Max and Ian started heading south on Broadway. The officer's drowsy attention left them and began floating in the direction of Madison Square. We have to be more invisible, Max whispered to Ian. We have to give off a different vibe. Eyes were still drifting towards them as they walked, peeking out of passing carriages. And then it hit Max. Everyone in this time wore a hat of some kind. Even the poorest person they saw was wearing a bowler hat or a derby hat. Many had the eight-quarter caps one pictured a newsboy or Oliver Twist wearing. He and Ian had not thought to dress with hats. Instead, Max's long hair hung down to his shoulder, brown locks curling in a semi-shag. Ian's black hair spiked punker style. But to these people in 1912, that was like being partly naked. It was impolite. It just wasn't done. Max instinctively felt in his pocket and was surprised to discover a familiar object there. He smiled. Domitian, he said. God, I love that man. Ian, check your pocket. Dom left us each a present. Perplexed, Ian did so and then smiled. Ah, um, follows bracelets, he said. Mr. E had given each a bracelet during the time of the pocket. Max slipped his on. I'm going to try to throw off some don't-notice-this energy and keep your eye out for some hats for us. Ian nodded, instantly understanding. Oh, hats. Yes, we blew that one. Wardrobe malfunction. Max calmed his mind by degrees, sinking into the now familiar trance. It was imperative that he find the quiet, the unity of purpose, that he align the conflicting pieces of his consciousness from the top of his mind all the way down to the very bottom. He had done it before. He could do it again. He would do it again. A shiver of fear, of doubt, slipped through him almost immediately. You can't! It's not possible! Don't be silly! Max curled a lip as he fought the gibbering voice down, because he knew that it was possible. He had done things like this before. Calm, clear intent. No. Do not see us. Eyes began to slip off them by degrees. At first they merely lingered less, and then they actually began to stop altogether. Do not see us. Max particularly focused on both his and Ian's bracelets. He knew that he was acting as a human on Phallus, and that the bracelets were amplifying his focused thoughts, just as they did the thought patterns trapped in other Omphalos. During the time of the pocket, one of these very bracelets had amplified the Chrononomicon, an Omphalos that freed one of time. The result had been that they were able to move within a super pocket, a pocket within the pocket. Max's ability to visually cloak them was imperfect. Alone, he would not have been able to do much. But with the amplifying effect of the bracelets, Max felt able to provide some protection for them. Do not see us. A man walked right into Max, and his concentration slipped for a second. Pardon me, young master, the man muttered. But Max smiled grimly. It was working. 
He redoubled his focus as they snapped out quick strides up Broadway. They were not actually invisible. Rather, they were throwing up a mental haze, a cloud, so that people would be less inclined to view them. They were simply less noticeable, the way your car keys could be on a table right in front of you, and you're looking right at them, but somehow, it doesn't click that they're right there. Ian guided Max by the elbow through the maze of pedestrians who were now fully oblivious to their presence. He was about to ask Max where they were headed when he caught sight of a strange woman underneath a nearby hissing gaslight. She was a crone, wrapped in layers of black from head to toe. Her head was crowned with a strange triangular cloth hat, underneath which a gray wimple tightly wrapped her pudgy face. The bottom part of her black dress ballooned out in the back as though she were hiding a bell beneath it. In her gloved hand was a very large and heavy-looking umbrella. She gripped the dark, polished, rich walnut handle. The old woman's attention was focused upwards. She seemed to be scanning the bedroom windows of the brownstones above the street. She was muttering beneath her breath. The same word, it appeared, over and over and over again. Ian strained to make out what that word was. Then he caught it on a sudden shift of the wind. Temperance! Why in the world was she muttering temperance? She gurgled a curse. Apparently she was not finding what she wanted. Was she advising herself to be temperate? Her mouth opened into a gauzy, yawning black chasm. Her breath stank. Even from where he was, Ian could smell the sweet rot. Then she became agitated. Something had disturbed her. Something nearby. She held out her umbrella like a dowsing rod, swinging it slowly around. It stopped dead when it was pointing directly at Max and Ian. She hissed like an alarmed snake. Ian looked in panic at Max. He had closed his eyes and had driven his thoughts even deeper into himself. Did he know that this woman was here? Max gave no indication one way or the other. Great, Ian mouthed. The woman approached, gliding towards them like a ghoul. But she didn't seem able to see them. Yet she wasn't blind. A moment ago, she had been very clearly studying the bedroom windows in the far distance. No, her vision was fine. Then Ian involuntarily looked down at his wrist. The Amphalos gemstone was throbbing brightly like it was overheating. Ian put it together in a flash. Max knew perfectly well she was here, and he was desperate to keep them from being discovered. He was struggling like mad to keep them hidden, even right in her plain view, but it was taking an incredible amount of effort on his part. Max sank into a crouch and then yanked Ian down with him, saying nothing. A split second later, and they both would have been caught by a surprise, sudden sweeping probe of her umbrella. She had swung it much faster than Ian would have guessed possible for someone of her age. It hissed through the air right over their heads. Ian felt the breeze. Perplexed, the old woman started sniffing. She was leaning right over them. The folds of her black coat almost touched Ian's face. Ian stared up, fear starting to seep out of him. And she started to bend closer, stooping down towards the duo. Max's hand suddenly grabbed Ian's hair, pulled his head down into his own chest. Now I can't see you, moron! Ian was furious, but allowed it, instinctively trusting that Max somehow understood the situation better than he did. But the second Ian's eye contact with the crone was broken, she became confused, disoriented, she seemed to have lost the thread of what she had been doing. She shambled backwards a few steps, sweeping her umbrella behind her, dowsing to regain the scent. And then she was altogether distracted. One of the windows in the tenements above finally held what she had previously been seeking. Ian felt her attention leave them as though a spotlight had mercifully swung away. He cautiously raised his head and peeked. 
but it was okay now. Her mind had gone somewhere else entirely. She held her hand up to her mouth and started speaking quickly in a brackish tongue into a ring. Ian almost gasped aloud. This was exactly what Jadith had done when she had gained the pendant. That ring was a whispering stone. Ian was suddenly sure of it. Then, satisfied, the crone turned and quickly waddled up the street. Another moment, she turned the corner and was gone. Max snapped out of his deep concentration the moment she was out of view. Come on, he said to Ian. Let's hide, but this time the old-fashioned way. He and Ian ran across the street and ducked into a stairwell for below street entry into a brownstone. They crouched in the shadows for a moment, scanning to be sure no one was watching. There were perhaps nine people milling about, and no policemen. No one was giving them a second thought. She's gone. Why aren't we leaving? Ian growled. Something's going to happen here any minute, Max whispered. I want to see what it is. That old woman just marked the window across the street. Oh, and you caught her whispering stone, I assume, Ian said. Max nodded. Couldn't miss it. A sky chamber lazily rolled around the corner of 20th and onto Broadway, floating a mere three stories off the ground. Holy hell in a hat! Ian gasped in surprise. His heart yammered. He hadn't seen one of those in five years. He'd forgotten how absolutely terrifying they could be. Ian couldn't stop staring at the bottom of it, the great throbbing jeweled belly. He was shocked by the impunity with which the craft was allowing itself to be visible, witnessed by anyone. Ian stared like a man hypnotized, until Max tapped him and quietly pointed into the street beyond. To Ian's surprise, no one was paying attention to the UFO whatsoever. Ian did a double take. What, don't they see it? Max shook his head, smiling grimly. But how can they just not see it? Ian wanted to ask Max, but something was happening now. The sky chamber had halted directly in front of the marked window. The top hatched open, and a cloaked, shadowy figure emerged. The silhouette stood motionless on the upper hull of the sky chamber. Was this a centurion? Max strained to see the figure's face, but he was wearing a hood that covered his head completely. Max scanned between the rustling folds for a glint of gold or anything resembling centurion armor, but saw nothing of the sort. The figure remained for a moment longer and then bounded sprightly across the hull, his dark cloak swirling in the starry night air behind him. He jumped through the open window and into the bedroom. A moment later, the figure reappeared, but now he was carrying a white bundle in his arms. Max strained to see what it was, but at that very moment the sound of a baby crying split the air and all became clear. This cloaked shadow had snatched an infant from its crib. His feet seemed barely to touch the hull as he scampered across it, and the spectral child thief slipped down the sky chamber hatch with his bundled prize in less than a heartbeat. Did you see that? That thing stole a baby, Ian hissed. Come on, Max whispered to Ian. We're hitching a ride. What? Ian protested. Hey, we're not scared of these guys anymore, remember? Max said. Well, maybe you're not. Ian mumbled and then looked up at the craft hovering three stories in the air. Besides, how are we getting up there? Why, we whoosh, of course, Max replied. We're both wearing our bracelets. You'll be able to do what I can do. Here, take my hand. What? The sky chamber was starting to move away. We're crying out loud. Come on, Max insisted, grabbing Ian's hand and whooshing. Together they were a blur as they flew up the street, and then did a U-turn and came back, jumping up to whoosh along the side of the brownstones, getting up to an altitude above the sky chamber. Then they dropped skillfully with light feet on its hull and crouched down. 
Um, they can't see us from in there, can they? I mean, the viewing jewel or the pilot won't sense us or something, right? Max asked. Oh, now he asks me, Ian complained, rolling his eyes. Well, the answer is no, not unless they're specifically looking for us. You know, like how a mosquito can land on you, and technically speaking, you can feel it, but you'll miss it unless you're keeping an eye out for it or something. The sky chamber was once again on the move. It floated lazily between the buildings like some sort of odd taxi. Max peered over the edge. No one below gave even the slightest indication that they could see them or the craft. Okay, we'll sit tight. We'll wait until... But Max was cut short. A spike of ice shot through his heart as the sky chamber's hatch suddenly popped open again. That was the last thing they had expected to happen. The cloaked figure emerged, but now the hood was thrown back, and they could see his face. He didn't look like a centurion. Instead, he appeared to be Italian, with a dramatic, dark Shakespearean pointed beard and thick eyebrows. And his eyes had gone wide with surprise himself. The sight of Max and Ian was apparently a jolt to his heart. Now seething, the man slowly closed the hatch. Max stood straight up. The man did the same, throwing his cloak back in sudden anger at this unexpected encounter. They faced one another. Ian cowered behind Max. He knew he could not whoosh without Max's help. Nobody said a word. Then the man whoosh lunged at Max. Max easily dodged the attack, hoping the man would go off the side of the sky chamber in his eagerness, but had no such luck. The man was in far more control than he had seemed to be. He halted well before the edge and quickly turned. But Max was ready for this. He gave the man a swift whoosh kick to the stomach. The man fell back, surprised. A new fire entered his eyes as he renewed his appraisal of Max and swiftly regained his feet. Ian hung close to the edge of the sky chamber, terrified. He was utterly defenseless. Oh, how he wished he had stayed on the ground. He'd just been there seconds ago. If Max didn't win this fight... In a sudden move, the man reached beneath his cloak and tossed several objects at Max. Ian thought they must be knives, but then he saw that they were not. Curiously, they were silver hoops. He threw five, all joined together, interlocking like a chain. But as they flew through the air, each let go of the other, and they came apart like a magic trick. The hoops now spun and whirled along different axes. Max's inner senses screamed intensely. There was more to these hoops than met the eye. Then he caught a glimpse of it, a shimmering distortion, just ahead of each hoop, shaped like a cone, a pucker in the fabric of reality. Max jumped into the air, twisting so hard that Ian heard his spine crack. Max then folded up and twisted again, thus avoiding two hoops entirely. Max's brain screamed, MOVE! One of the silver circles whizzed past the edge of the sky chamber and onto a tenement balcony. It collided with a clothesline heavy with garments. But to Ian's horror, instead of stopping, the hoop acted like a great mouth, soundlessly inhaling the clothes that touched like a portal to another dimension. Another hoop bounced off the tenement building with a great clang and fell down to the street below. It ringed the gaslight post like a horseshoe, devouring it like some kind of hula hoop-shaped black hole, consuming it with no effort at all. One of those hoops had touched Max or himself. The remaining three made a screeching metallic racket as they fell to the street below, but did not annihilate anything further. The sky chamber suddenly turned a corner and tilted up. Ian scrambled to hang on. His and Max's end were dipping, while the man's was rising. He lost his footing and tumbled towards them. Max was off balance as the man slammed into him. Both went over the edge, but Max managed to wrap his arms around a hot jewel, while the man, snarling in frustration, latched onto Max's ankles. The sky chamber righted itself, completing its turn, with Max and the man dangling from the side. 
They both slammed into the side of the craft with a dull body thud. Max wriggled his legs, trying to kick the man off of him, but the man kept readjusting his grip, evading the kicks, and eventually succeeded in crawling up him. In a moment, both of his arms were locked around Max's neck, choking him. Ian watched in terror, his veins mapped with ice. He stood directly above, looking for an opportunity to help Max, but they were both out of reach. Then, the man performed some twisting acrobatic move, something with the feel of a practice circus performed to it, and launched himself into the air. He landed expertly on top of the sky chamber, facing Ian. Ian quickly backed away. He wished he'd thought to bring a gun with him. Then in the right of his brain, he remembered he had his cert blade. He pulled it out of his belt and brandished it feebly with a shaking hand. He didn't feel like it was really going to do him any good. Hoping against hope, he flicked a glance at the Umphalo's bracelet on his wrist. The gem was dead and dark. Without Max's help, he wouldn't be able to whoosh. The man regarded him clinically for a second. His predator eyes seemed to indicate that he agreed. Ian wasn't much of a threat. But this seemed to also worry the man as if he couldn't believe it. Ian realized he was now wondering whether Ian was fainting, trying to bait him. The two figures faced off for a moment longer, motionless. Ian could hear only the sound of his own horse panting. Come on, you bloody monster! Get it over with! Anything's better than this waiting! Ian tried to calm the embarrassing, violent shaking of his blade-wielding hand, but he was too badly scared. The man's eyes strayed to a building nearby, and something like a smile of recognition curled beneath his pointy black beard. He turned and bolted, leaping from the craft into a passing window. At that moment, Max plopped himself onto the top of the sky chamber. He was clearly exhausted, but nonetheless he dredged himself to his feet and grabbed Ian's arm. Come on, he shouted, after him! Before Ian could protest, they were both whooshing across the craft and leaping through the same window. As they landed in the room, they arrived just in time to see a book drop heavily to the floor. Oh no, not those things, Ian moaned. Yeah, he went into it. We're following. Max's eyes were on fire. No, Max, think. You're just tweaked off with this guy because he... Max groaned and opened the book, flipping the pages furiously, trying to figure out where the man had gone. Here, Max shouted. At that moment, the door to the parlor flung open, and a portly man, with a thick handlebar mustache, wearing a robe and a nightcap and holding a glass of sherry, stood there like a walrus aghast. I say, what is this racket? Oh! Max elbowed Ian and they both looked at the page and vanished. The walrus man dropped his sherry. Astonishing, he breathed. Max and Ian emerged in a brightly sunlit piano room with a vaulting ceiling and several large windows. The marble floor here shone and sparkled. Just as they arrived, another book across the room dropped to the floor. Max growled. So that's the game we're playing. The man was evidently trying to lose them in a series of quick book jumps. Ian pointed out one of the windows. Look! Max turned. It was the Eiffel Tower. We're in Paris! No time to sightsee. Max pounced on the other book. This one had landed open face down to the correct page. Now we have to keep going. He's going to... Max's voice got kind of stretched and distorted as they both entered the book. Eventually jump back to New York. He's just trying to ditch us. They popped out of another book, but this time in a horrifying manner that neither one of them could have anticipated. They were in freefall, as though they had just jumped out of an airplane. The sky seemed to be raining books. There were at least forty or so flapping around in the nearby air like enchanted mouths trying to talk. Below, from horizon to horizon, was a wide expanse of rocky white mountainous terrain. They were clearly high above somewhere intense and forbidding, like the Himalayas. 
The scraggly land peeked out from beneath a layer of cloud below them. Max could barely breathe the stinging cold atmosphere, and the air had completely gone out of Ian's lungs. He was suffocating. He could barely keep his eyes open. Tears welled up and streamed across his cheeks. They both flailed uselessly as supreme terror extraordinaire ripped through their souls. Ian thought he was having a heart attack on top of everything else. Max swam through the air towards Ian and collided with him, their heads slamming together, but nonetheless they managed to lock arms. At least he and Max would be able to whoosh now, for whatever good that would do them in this situation. I have to get to a book, any book, Max muttered feverishly to himself. He had already given up all hope of continuing the chase. He simply wanted to be on solid ground again, and he knew Ian would heartily agree with him. Max rolled, putting his arms out, and found he could control his horizontal movement somewhat, using the air rushing up at them as a lift, body surfing it. He'd seen skydivers do this on television. They suddenly dropped through a cloud. Everything became dense white. Ian screamed like a harpy in his ear. Yeah, I'm working on it, Max thought. When they exited the cloud, soaked, they found that they were near a book. Max closed the gap and snagged the black eldritch tome, hugging it close. He began frantically to open it when he heard a loud bang. Their friend was back again, and he was now sticking halfway out of another falling book, grinning above his triangular dark beard. His torso terminated in a blur at the page surface. I didn't know you could do that, Max found himself thinking stupidly. But Max had bigger problems to worry about now. The man was shooting at them. He fired again and thankfully missed. The man cursed. The ground was rushing up faster now. It seemed that their descent had madly accelerated. It was obvious that they would soon be a couple of patches of red goo in the white snow. Max had heard somewhere that skydivers sometimes lost track of the speed at which they were falling. It was quite easy to become hypnotized by the horizon, to lose perspective. Then the skydiver would suddenly realize he was about to hit the ground, but by then it was too late to release a parachute. Max got an intense intuition that they had just crossed that line themselves, and that was why their fall had seemingly sped up. Another shot whizzed by, this one markedly closer. Max actually heard the bullet sing past his head. Ha! Missed us! Max shouted in his mind. He tried to pry open the book he held, but the howling wind and the cold numbness cramping his fingers made it all but impossible. The man fired once more, but this time the bullet caught the book squarely, embedding itself deep within its pages, ripping it from Max's grasp. It went flapping off like a wounded duck somewhere behind them. Max watched their one hope of escape sail away into the sky, filling him with sheer horror. No! The man grinned in triumph and took aim. He was going to finish them off. In seconds, he would pull the trigger. Max growled and reached behind him. He knew Ian's surf blade was jammed into his belt at the small of his back. In one swift motion, his anger focused all of his thoughts through the Amphalos. Max drew Ian's knife and zinged it at the man. It sailed true and sank squishily into the man's gun hand, slicing tendons and causing his fingers to spring open involuntarily, releasing the weapon. The gun spun away. A spraying arc of red twirled up into the sky above him like a crimson contrail. The man howled and retreated back into the book, clutching his pierced hand in agony. But now Max was on fire. He snarled and adjusted his limbs and weight to body surf the air, right to the very same book the man had disappeared into. The ground was dangerously close now. He was going to follow this man. He was going to catch him. Max collided with the book, latched onto it with all his might. 
Miraculously, it had flipped over when the man had vanished back into its depths and remained open to the very same page. Wherever the man had gone, they were going there too. The ragged rocks below were perilously near. A foot trail through the snow was ominously visible now. Max looked at the page, and nothing happened. What the? Then he realized what it was. Ian, open your eyes, he shouted into the wind. Ian had been squeezing his eyes shut, preventing the book from operating on him. Since they were linked together through the bracelets, the book wasn't admitting Max. Apparently, they both had to be looking at the page in order to be translated into it. We're cutting this real close, Max thought, his heart slamming like a jackhammer. He couldn't turn around far enough to see whether Ian had heard him or not, and anyway, they were out of time. Max looked at the book, tears streaming from his eyes. Another few seconds and their brains would be dashed on the rocks. They hit the ground, but not hard. They thumped to a rest in a jumble on the wood floor of a study. And somewhere far away, a book struck a particularly craggy stone spike, and its spine was cut to ribbons. Pages flew everywhere, swirling in the wind, scattering the snow with theurgic parchment. Max and Ian sat there for a few moments, trying to figure out whether or not they were still alive. It took a minute for them to realize that it had worked. They had book-jumped somewhere else. Somewhere safe, for now. The man! Suddenly remembering, Max jumped to his feet. The man had come here, also. He had to be somewhere nearby. Then Max noticed a small puddle of blood on the ground at his feet. He looked back. The book they had just emerged from was smeared with it. But where had the man gone? Max looked around frantically. There was no dropping book this time to give away his next jump. His blood trail, Ian gasped between hyperventilating. His wounded hand, follow. Of course, Max helped Ian to his feet. The blood droplets had dribbled along the floor. They were impossible to hide. They quickly traced the path of the trail across the room to a book in an ornate golden stand. And there, it abruptly ended. This one, he wanted to hear, Max whispered. Ian nodded. Max grasped the cover and was about to open the book when both he and Ian felt themselves slurped in. What? They hadn't even opened it yet. Without transition, they were in a gothic dungeon. Two ragged torches provided the only illumination. There were no doors, no windows, no chairs, no bedding. There was nothing but a dusty stone floor. Monolithic bricks formed the walls, reaching up to a stone ceiling some forty feet above them. Ian pulled himself to his feet first. Max was up a moment later frantically running his hands along the walls. What happened? He shouted to Ian. What is this place? <laughs> he suckered us. Ian actually laughed for a second. He was still happy just to be alive. The fact that they had not been killed in the fall was still penetrating his mind. Wherever they were, at least they weren't dead. At least not yet. What? The book. The word magic wasn't on the inside. It was on the outside, on the cover. <laughs> it was a trap. Our friend is pretty clever, whoever he is. He bled his way over to that book just to make sure we'd go right where he wanted us to. Ian had to admit that he was impressed with the quick thinking, especially while dealing with the intense pain of the hand injury. He tricked us, Max spat, furious that he had lost this duel. Yep, he bloody well did. He gave us the old Jadith shuffle. Just goes to show you. Show you what, Max asked. Never judge a book by its cover. Several hours later, Max and Ian paced inside of their cell. They had shouted at their captors, tried the walls, tried to whoosh jump up to the ceiling and have a look at it, whooshing didn't work in here, and tried to pull the torches down. They wouldn't budge. 
So what, are they just going to leave us in here to starve? Max wondered. Ian shook his head. Doubt that, actually. They're probably just watching us, trying to figure out who we are. They want to see if we'll say anything useful. And if they wait long enough, we might reveal something. At least, that's what I would do if I were them. Max nodded. Well, I don't think they could have learned very much from anything we've set up until now. Other than... But Ian put a finger up to his mouth. Shh! He shook his head. If they want to hear more, they're going to have to talk to us face to face. Ian said to Max as much as to their eavesdropping captors. Max nodded, but nothing happened. Unless, of course, you're totally wrong. Maybe the bearded wonder is just going to leave us in here to rot forever. But at that moment, Max and Ian heard a woman's voice. I have heard enough. Get them out of there. I wish to speak with them. You've been listening to Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on this Podio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The print version of both The Pocket and the Pendant, Max Quick Book One, and The Two Travelers, Max Quick Book Two, are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover. <laughs>